the SF Music Tech Summit, recorded live by Media One Audiovisual. To learn more about us, visit us online at MediaOneAudio.com. Good morning, everybody. Uh, this is the uh, panel on investing in music technology, judging by the many smiling faces in the room, a topic that's near and dear to many. Uh, looks like we've got a few folks who are still straggling in, but I'll go ahead and get things started so we can finish on time and have plenty of time for Q&A. My name is Peter Delavet. I cover startups and venture capital for the San Jose Mercury News. I write a column called Wiretap. Um, I also don't know that the guys who in invited me to do this panel know this, but I'm a huge music fan. I put myself through college uh, working at record stores back when there were such things as record stores. I uh, worked for a while in the press room and sponsorship uh, uh, department at the New Orleans Jazz and Heritage Festival. And I have written, although not yet successfully published, a, uh, a travel memoir that looks back in part on the early days of electronic music. I used to hang out in Tokyo at an underground disco that uh, Joichi Ito ran, and he, of course, is now much more successful than I am. Um, we have a great panel of uh, tech investors who sort of invest in music technology from across the spectrum. So going right to left, I've got um, Patrick Mahoney. He is the managing director of the uh, SF Music Tech Fund, which is, of course, the organization that has put on this conference. Uh, he is the founding director at, I'm going to mispronounce this, ziff.org, Ziff. Ziff. which is a nonprofit dedicated to open source multimedia, as well as a founding investor in netradio.net, an early internet radio network. Uh, next to him, we have Haney Nada. Haney is a uh, partner at GGV Capital. Uh, they are the investors in uh, companies you may have heard of, including Pandora, Root Music, Alibaba, Athena Health, and uh, Haney is also on the board of Tudo, which is China's leading video content provider. Next to me, we have uh, Mark Montgomery, who is entrepreneur in residence at Claritas Capital in Nashville, Tennessee. He is also the co-founder of Echo Music, which was eventually acquired by Ticketmaster. Go ahead. <laughs> is this being recorded? <laughs> Does not like Ticketmaster. Um, Mark's clients over the years have included the likes of Kanye West, Keith Urban, and Pearl Jam. And he is also involved with a super secret uh, startup called um, Flow Thinkery, which is so secret I could not find out anything about it on the internets. Uh, and lastly, but certainly not leastly, we have Larry Marcus, uh, Managing Director of Walden Venture Capital. Uh, Larry is their digital media and consumer services special guy. He has been a director at Pandora since early 2004. He is a director at SoundHound, Root Music, and is on the advisory council uh, for Industry Ventures and serves on the board of the Jazz School in Berkeley, California. You might remember a lot of these guys actually are finding this out are, are musicians. In fact, I think everybody at this table is a musician except for me. Um, in the spare time, you might remember Larry from the uh, Flying Other Brothers featuring Roger McNamee, and he is currently uh, in the open source band. You're a drummer, right? You're a drummer, right? Sort of, yeah. Okay, well, I have a three-year-old who's a drummer, so that's, that's the, uh, the closest <laughs> I can come. Um... Okay, so what I'm going to do is I'm going to uh, ask each of the panelists to just take just a moment to expound a little bit on what I just talked about. I'd like to hear everybody at the, on the table actually has a, a different take to investing in uh, digital uh, music and uh, uh, kind of different stages, uh, different plays. Uh, so, uh, Patrick, why don't we start with you and, and talk, tell us a bit about what you guys are seeing at the Music Tech Fund. I'd like to know sort of the kinds of opportunities you're seeing and the kinds of opportunities that you're looking for. Well, let me tell you a little bit. Uh, this, is a, this is an exciting day. Um, this is the first time we're talking publicly about SF Music Tech Fund. Uh, Brian and I worked together for 12, 15 years, and uh, it's, it's, this is a natural evolution out of this successful summit series that he's built. 
Um, we're looking for the earliest stage. So I think this sort of a, there's a pyramid you could construct here in terms of our interest. Um, we're looking for you know small teams building consumer-facing, uh, artist-friendly, efficient systems. And uh, for, for all of this, as I mentioned, we've worked together a long time. We've been on the other side of the table. We've been on the, the startup side of the table. So this is an exciting turn. I like to say this is like chess. Uh, we've been playing the white pieces for the last 15 years, and we've looked to see how the black pieces respond, and we're shifting the table on now and, and coming at it from a different angle. So we're not bankers. We're not lawyers. We're startup veterans. Um, so w w no idea is too crazy for us to listen to, and no, no investment is too small. We're, we, we've been in the position where 5,000 bucks will help us stay alive a little bit longer and, and can appreciate what that means for all of you. So I look forward to hearing from hopefully, well, I don't know, all of you, <laughs> some of you. Um, so we, you know, we're, we're looking to make small investments and we're really looking to become an integral part of your you know, strategy and your strategic planning. So. Can you tell us about DGV? Sure. Uh, we are an 11-year-old venture firm. Uh, we have a bunch of money under management. We invest in uh, technology, media, telecom. We actually invest both in the U.S. and in Asia. We have, I have about half my partnership in Shanghai, the other half here in the U.S., uh, right in Menlo Park. Uh, we uh, invest, we try to invest in industries that are a little bit out of favor from other venture capital firms. So we were fairly early in e-commerce in China, we were fairly early in gaming here in the U.S., and I think we're starting to make more of a push on the music side. Um, one of my big, one of the big theses I have is I think you'll see media, specifically music, become perceptually free to the users, and I think that's going to create a lot of disruption in the industry. And whenever you have disruption, I think you'll see lots of opportunities to invest, and that's why. I follow Larry around. Yeah, I was going to mention that. There's definitely some overlap in the portfolios, especially with the music portfolios between you guys and Walden. Tell me a little bit about that. I just like Larry. Okay. That's, that's, a, that's a good reason. He's a good drummer. <laughs> that's, a, that's a very good reason. Uh, Mark Montgomery, not to sound like a left coast bigot, but uh, I don't know that a lot of us realize that there were venture capital firms in Nashville. So uh, tell us what's. It's, it's all, it's where, all hate mails and hillbillies in Nashville. <laughs> well, we talked a little bit about this uh, earlier. Uh, obviously, uh, it's a huge music, uh, it's music city. And uh, so, obviously, lots of performers, lots of recording uh, studios, lots of labels. What's the, the, the state of uh, things on the ground there with regards to music technology and, and how you're, the, the firm that you're affiliated with looks to invest in it? Well, uh, I mean, the, 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 it's, it's a long story. I'm going to condense it as much as I can. In 2006, um, Nashville has historically been the Silicon Valley of healthcare. And so a lot of money has been made in our market. Billions of dollars right? has been made in that market. And um, th there is a segment, uh, uh, the South is a very lovely, nice place where people are very nice and lovely. Um, and occasionally I'll get up in a room and sh shoot my mouth off and say, uh, we got to, you know, we don't fund what we don't understand and all we understand is healthcare because it's a bunch of old white guys in suits. And so uh, I started beating that drum in about 06 and in um, 2010 we started a thing called the Center for Entrepreneurship. Uh, which is a 501c3 nonprofit, state, local, um, private funds, and have spun up a bunch of new funds, including a fund I'm a part of called Bullpen Ventures, which does seed stage investing in, in music, technology, and healthcare. And uh, so I think 
as a, as a community, we have an intention um, to become um, an important player in the digital music space, particularly entertainment as a broad category. And uh, we sort of, in, in our market, two to one have a, a larger creative class than any other city in the United States. So more of the creators live in our market. Um, we have, uh, uh, we're centrally located. You can hit 65% of the US population in a one day's drive, 80% in a two day drive. Every piece of infrastructure you need to run an entertainment company is there from business management to lighting to, I mean, fill in the blank. And uh, there is a group of us Indians running around um, bonking the old white guys with money on the head and saying, put a little bit of money into this other space, You'll, you won't be sorry. And it's starting to work. And it's a 10-year it's process at a minimum. And so for me, getting involved in, in bullpen and putting my money where my mouth was uh, and getting involved with guys like the Ingram family who have made a lot of money in the book business and Dollar General, um, which is uh, another backer of this, of this area, um, I think we're just getting started. So uh, my hope is, is that you'll remember that the biggest rock band in the world, Kings of Leon, is based in Nashville. Larry, you guys are not getting started. Uh, you've been doing this for, for quite a while. Tell us a little bit about uh, how you're, what's, what kinds of deals you're seeing, how you're, how you're assessing them, and maybe the kinds of things that you're not looking for. Right. So um, uh, we do, at Walden Venture Capital, we do sprout stage investing. And so the sprout is if you can demonstrate your technology, your product. So versus Mark and Patrick, who will do seed, uh, I'd like to see when we can actually look at a product or a technology. So post that stage. And my partner, Matt Miller, is here. Matt, please raise your hand. Thank you. <laughs> you'll, you'll be sorry. <laughs> and uh, So we look for things that really have mass market potential, and it's really just based on that it should just create a lot of joy for the consumer. So if, there's, if the demo you know, is something that really makes you excited, then that's something we want to see. If it's not quite baked, you're not sure what it is or how the tech is going to work, then please wait and show it to us uh, after it's kind of hit that point. So we look pretty broadly at the market across consumer and enterprise, but in terms of the music space, um, it's just a really diverse ecosystem. And you've got um, you know, listening, you know, like with a Pandora or search, uh, like a SoundHound or the band connection, uh, like with the root music, but there's also really exciting things in the entertainment space, you know, music as games, um, technologies for bands. Um, we're looking at a really exciting kind of uh, recording and performance and practicing technology for bands right now, um, sharing. So just view it as very diverse, uh, you know, infrastructure um, services and content. And then in terms of, you know, where we fit in the ecosystem, it's kind of in between seed and expansion. So actually you've got that with Mark, Mark and Patrick on this seed front. And then Haney, uh, GGV is an amazing firm, and they do really expansion stage. And so they want to see things that are really taking off, and they know how to bring it to the next level. So uh, and then in terms of what I'm not looking for, I mean, I, I don't like handing our money in upfront licensing expenses. Mm -hmm. So really like you know win-win deals with partners. Um, a lot of progress, you know, a lot of capital efficiency. Great. Perfect. Well, I'm going to stick with you for a second. Uh, in an effort to appear intelligent up here today, I uh, spent part of the last week uh, 
reaching out to some other uh, uh, venture capitalists that I know who do investing in music technology and also uh, talking to some CEOs in this space. So I collected a few what I hope will be provocative questions uh, from them to throw at you guys. Here's a question uh, from Nancy Fund at uh, DBL Investors, as you guys know, uh, another investor in Pandora. Uh, she notes that the market has really flipped in a very short amount of time from desktop to mobile devices, and now most folks, especially when we're talking about uh, digital music, use the latter. So she wonders, what does this mean in terms of, of new apps, in terms of bandwidth issues, uh, you know, charges, those kinds of things? What are your thoughts about that, Larry? Well, I, I couldn't agree more about how important mobile is. And you know, first of all, this thing's always with you. It has a microphone, so you, know, you can search. You know, you can sing to it or listen to music or you can use your voice and ask for things. So it's just a better fundamental search mechanism. And then you've got your headphone jack, so it's a better consumption mechanism as well. So if it comes to, you know, searching or listening, uh, absolutely here. And then I asked my daughter, who's 11, who has a DS, you know, what was a better game platform, her DS or the iPhone? And she's like, oh, the iPhone, you know, no-brainer. And, you know, she's playing Tap Tap, um, Lady Gaga, Tap Tap Revenge, you know, Lady Gaga on it, and is super excited about mobile. So the dark side of the cloud, the storm cloud, um, the lightning in the cloud, is that it's incredibly difficult to get paid on mobile. You know, the advertising network there is still at its early stages. So, you know, low CPMs. Um, Apple has done a great job of taking software that used to be worth 30 or $50 and making it worth a dollar or two. Uh, games included. So a lot of this stuff is really good for Apple. So as a developer, I think it's really going to be about how can you create a mass scale brand and the ways of getting paid are going to increase. So some of it is how can you be scrappy enough so you can actually survive. And the other thing is breaking free. I mean, if you're not in the top 100 or at least the top 25 in your category, it's kind of like you don't exist. Uh, you know, so many apps are launching, and everybody has the same reaction afterwards, which is, didn't we launch? And uh, it's, it's kind of frightening if you're not really breaking through. So it's, it's got to be simple. Mark, any thoughts on mobile versus uh, being tethered the way that we have been for many years? I'm, I'm just going to start following Larry around. <laughs> no, I mean, I think he's right. He's absolutely right. I mean, the, 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 this device, when you think about how it's transformed everything, I mean, your ability to work anywhere, to, to, to do what you need, to do the work you need to get done, it, it's, I agree, if you're not in the top 25, it's a wasteland below. Right. Um, and I think it comes down to uh, something you said earlier, which I underlined and will be repeating um, ad nauseum, bring joy to the consumer. If you, if you build something great, it doesn't matter what platform it's on, people are going to want it. And then they're going to spread it, and it's gotten so easy to, to take something great and spread it around. Right. There's actually another interesting trend, which is this as an adjunct to other pieces of hardware, kind of like with a Sonos, yep. which you know is really expensive. So if you have it, you know it's a sign of uh, having a lot of disposable income and loving music. But this is an amazing Sonos controller, and it's also an amazing controller for other things. There's a, a lot of really interesting music hardware where suddenly. You know, you can use this as your remote control, mm -hmm. as your on-stage mixer, as other things. And so tethering to other services is another big key trend. Right. 
Andy, I'm going to uh, turn to a different question for you, um, and we'll uh, take it down uh, this other end of the table. What are your thoughts on, on the rent? Can you guys hear me when I turn my head? There's a sign here that says, speak directly into the mic, so I'm worried that if I do this that people won't hear me. But on the other hand, I don't want to do this. So. <laughs> okay, good, excellent. Exactly, okay. Uh, so rent versus own. Uh, one CEO that I spoke to last week said he believes that ultimately consumers still want to own their music as opposed to renting it versus a streaming service. But at the same time, he allowed that streaming services can help music collectors discover new music that they want to own. As you guys have thought about investing in the space, uh, are you is it is it one versus the other? Is it a little bit of both? Uh, so I'll go back to my original statement earlier, where I think perceptually from the consumer side, music will be free. Um, it'll be, uh, and so the big controversies is how is the artist going to get paid? How's the label, distributors, publishers going to get paid? That's going to be all in the air, in my opinion. Mobile is actually just one. It, what mobile is doing is that making it, making that tr transition happen faster. Um, about six years ago, uh, I was investing in a gaming company. They made a, a game called Lord of the Rings Online. Uh, great MMO. And um, we were trying to import a business model that we saw in Asia out of Korea, which is you give the game away for free and you charge for items, potions, swords, uh, decorative items, and so on. And the, 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 the immediate reaction from the developers is like, NFW, this is something that we've made. We spent three years on it. We spent $50 million building this game. It's going to cost somebody. Once somebody wants to play, he has to pay, he or she has to pay 12 bucks a month. That's how we're going to price our game. And it was a battle. After lots of bottles of sake, lots of tons of sushi, they finally agreed. They finally agreed to take their game for free to play. They tripled revenue in the first weekend. In the first weekend, um, I think the model, the business model in music is, and media in general, but specifically music, given where we are, is going to change. It's going to change to something I don't know what it looks like in the future, but it's going to change. The day that you pay a buck for a track to own it, or the day you pay ten or fifteen bucks to subscribe to a music service, that's going to change. So I think the economics in this industry are going to shift dramatically, whether it's rent or own or whether it's stream or radio. I think all of that's going to change. From the consumer perspective, I want to listen to music. I want to discover music. I want to tag my favorites. I want to share that music with my friends. And so as that happens, the business model is going to change. And the industry, you guys out there, by the way, I feel like I'm at a Coachella concert, not a business conference. Um, uh, that's going to change. And so... My, the area, the reason why I'm so excited is I think that change is going to bring a lot of interesting consumer applications, consumer behavior, a lot of interesting models. And so I think, I think there'll be a lot of money being made and a lot of money being lost, frankly, as well. Mm. Yeah. Patrick? Well, uh, personally, I, I just recently gave up I, on, on collecting. I, I know there are real music collectors out there and they'll always collect, but I, I looked, I, I just sold my house, right? So I was going through the garage, I found eight tracks, I found LPs, I, fa I found everything, H hundreds of things, you know, I hadn't heard them in years and I hadn't even remembered I had them. So it, I, I feel answering as a consumer, I, I, I just want to know it's there, I want to be able to discover it, but I can no longer attempt to download iTunes TV shows and it's, it's just overwhelming. It's too much. It's just too much. On a, on a monthly basis, too much stuff coming in. So that's where, I, that's where my eye is. Not trying to hoard and collect uh, what, like I used to, and as my garage is testament to, um, I don't, don't think it's possible anymore. You, well, you talk except, except for, like I said, the real, the real hardcore people that will collect until they die. Right. They'll be buried with their records. Right, right, right. Yeah, I work for a guy like that, actually. It's crazy. In a kiss coffin. In a kiss coffin. Yeah. <laughs> made, made, made of vinyl, yeah. 
Uh, well, while we're, while we're on this point, uh, talking about, about rights holders, uh, this is a question that I got from Darren Sui, who's the CEO of, of M-Spot in Palo Alto. Uh, uh, this is his question for the panel. How does a VC, how does a startup, how do you make money when the rights holders take 70% of your revenue right off the top? If you add your operational costs, you add your development costs, your marketing costs, you've got a paper-thin margin. And if you try to circumvent the rights owners, M-Spot has a music locker that they've recently rolled out. He's, Darren says, they will sue you or threaten to sue you. Uh, now, I can see this argument cutting both ways, especially as somebody in, in my business. I mean, we produce content. Very few people pay for content anymore. We're, like any newspaper, uh, any media company, engaged in this debate about how do we try to monetize some of that? What do we make available for free? What can we put behind a paywall with our new uh, iPad app, for instance? Um, what are your thoughts about... about so, so, so on the one hand... Uh, music wants to be free, and this is a debate that's been going on since at least the days of Napster more than uh, 10 years ago. Uh, but artists need to get paid. I mean, most musicians, as you guys uh, know, uh, you know, you're sleeping in the back of the van, and it's, uh, it's, it, there's only that very, very thin margin at the top that uh, people are uh, appearing on MTV Cribs. So, uh, you know, tell me a little bit about, about that whole debate from your perspective about uh, uh, the importance from the artist's point of view and the label's point of view of, of protecting the content versus, uh, you know, the uh, the consumers who are who are used to getting stuff for free. I, I mean, and I think it breaks down according to the 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 where that artist is in their arc. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I, I I help a friend in L.A. who's a well-known hip hop star, couldn't give a rip about the internet. So I you know I push like let's get a Facebook page, let's start to give let's put up a sound or a SoundCloud account and do all of these things, and he, as an established artist, still questions, "What you know? What am I getting from this?" Um, but then I have other f- friends on the other end of the spectrum who are just starting out; they couldn't get their mom to buy their album, much less you know a mass market. So they they're more willing to to throw those things out there uh, uh, for free, for freemium, for uh, you know. You you guys all know these stories very well. So, you know, selling merchandise and and things to to make up the gap. So I think it depends where, you know, who exactly you're talking about. Uh, one thing I would, uh, I mean, to me, when I, 98% of musicians, of the musicians in the world's problem is not piracy, it's obscurity, mm-hmm. right? Uh, so I think that you have to look at the, the, that's a, it's a business question. When you're at a specific point in your career as a business person, what do I need to do to go to the next level? Um, and when I'm at the top of the heap and I am a rights holder with incredibly valuable um, content, uh, I think there, there is a, a tendency to want to protect that. But the reality is, I, I think, and, and uh, if anybody else knows this to be wrong, I'm, I'm pretty sure this fact is correct. When at Napster at its peak, the most downloaded artist on Napster was Britney Spears. Britney Spears was also selling 20 million records at the same time. And so I really don't believe the argument that piracy has destroyed the music business. Mm. Um, I, I believe that um, the most valuable thing a consumer has is their time. And if they're willing, I'm, as, a, as a musician, I still, I write commercial country as, a, as an exercise. Um, if you're 35 to 48 years old, I'm really working hard to get in your head and tell you a story that will make you want to buy a Keith Urban record. Right, but my passion is rock, 
And my problem is obscurity. That sounds like torture. No, it's, it's being inside of a 20, 35 to 48-year-old woman's head. I Sometimes. Uh, Actually, it was the rock country. Oh, okay. So. Anyway, but our pro- my problem as a musician, as a, as a rock musician, is, is obscurity. And if someone is willing to give me three minutes of their time, they've given me the most valuable asset they have. And if I deliver the appropriate product, if I bring them joy, the rest of it will take care of itself. Larry, what about from the entrepreneur's perspective, though? What if you're a, a Darren Swee at M-Spot or any number of other companies that, that you're familiar with? Uh, you know, you're trying to, to differentiate. You're trying to offer, uh, find a way into this market, and, and the opportunity is undeniable. And yet, at the same time, uh, as you're trying to delight customers and find consumers and convince them that your technology is the best, you've got these rights holders who are coming and, and still, you know, 10 years post-Napster, uh, still leaning on you, and you know the the we, we've we're seeing this going on with uh, with the movie industry. We're seeing this going on with you know, and, you know, what what's your take on that 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 debate from the entrepreneur's point of view? Well, the the labels are incredibly great as venture capitalists at finding artists, investing in them, and getting paid back on that IP. Their their business model has really been all around selling music. As it turns out, a lot of value has been created in the technology industry from technologies that bring the user closer to the music or help deliver the music. And the challenge for entrepreneurs is that if you decide that you want to uh, deliver music in a non-statutory rights way and you need to do these one-off deals, the cost of doing those deals and the mindset, which is, hey, we own all this IP, and the reason your service is successful is because of our IP. Therefore, there's a lot of overhead and time and expense doing these deals. It's very tough for a startup to engage in that activity. And so the seed, so to speak, as soon as it sprouts in any form, uh, it gets stepped on, you know, like a Hummer drives over it. Um, so I think uh, the, the key is to focus on businesses and, and technologies that help the consumer without actually needing those licenses. And if those licenses can be done in a win-win fashion later in the business. And I think that there is a move among the labels, say, gee, you know, the music industry, uh, we've seen the trend lines, and we know, you know what's happening with sales, and there's other ways to, to try to forge partnerships. If those win-win deals can come together, which usually is you know, no upfronts, you win together or you fail together, mm-hmm. I think there's a chance you know, to do some more interesting things. But until those deals happen, you know, venture capital for those kinds of, of businesses you know, is effectively non-existent. It would only come from somebody who hasn't actually uh, you know, been in the industry and mm-hmm. sort of came upon money and thought it was a good idea and that they would become concerned later when they saw what happened. Did you want to well, the, on the, the one thing I would say is, is that, and I, I don't know how much, I've spent a lot of time with a lot of these guys that have run the historical businesses, and, and just bluntly, they don't care what the new music business is. They really don't. They're riding out what's left of the old business. They, they aren't really incentized to, to move it forward. And, uh, you know, to me, the, the pain is a wonderful motivator. And pain, that, that pain, we're at that point, I think, where, where they're finally being forced um, because of the market to adjust their business practices. And that's hurt a lot of people. 
lot of people in that business have not done well, but the, the, days, the days of private jets and $2,000 worth of wine at a dinner, um, you know, carrying that huge overhead at the top of those companies, um, and nothing in the middle and a bunch of kids who don't know anything at the bottom doing the work, all of that is kind of collapsing on itself. And as a result, um, I think that's where a lot of that opportunity is going to come in, in all of that disruption you're talking about it is a lot of pain and out of that, that will come a lot of a lot of opportunity I think. Yeah. just think about this right um, of the music industry uh, what percentage of the business is accounted for in the top 40 today and think about that five years from now when access is going to be ubiquitous because of everybody's carrying an iPhone around mm -hmm. what percentage of the business is going to be that top 40 and what's that going to do to the business models of these large conglomerates that own all the rights um, you know, musicians are good at making music. They're horrible marketers. They're horrible marketers. You're going to be have Prince. To, you're going to have to become a better marketer, right? As a musician or a music ma or a musician manager, and the the avenue to market is probably the web. That's where your audience is. And so, if you think about that, the and and the other another important aspect, and I'm just random thoughts out there. Music sales is not your number one revenue generating item as an artist. Mm -hmm. It is not. It's probably number four or five. No matter where you are in a tale. So think about what music sales actually is. The reason why Britney Spears, I think going back to your example, was a top rated Napster song downloaded at the same time she sold 20 million records was it was a marketing vehicle. It was out there. And my guess is she probably made more, in it, well, back then probably money on item sales, but my guess is concerts and shows and merchandising, that's what's making her a lot of money as an artist. Not necessarily as a label, but as an artist. Your friends so, at Ticketmaster are probably still doing pretty well. I have no comment. Henny, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm going to stick with you for a second. We've got about 10 minutes till I want to get to some Q&A because I promised we'd keep things uh, finished on time. But another question from Nancy Fun. The U.S. is obviously a, keeping in, in this theme of, of, of IP. The U.S. is a big market with uniform music copyright laws. How does one go internationally, say in Europe or say in China, uh, not known for its uh, – and I don't want to get you in trouble here – but not known for its strict adherence to, uh, to the, uh, the sanctity of IP. But, uh, you know, uh, you, you bounce around Europe. Uh, different countries may have different rules. Markets are smaller. The cost of entry are higher. Uh, how, how is one to pick good investments when making international – plays when looking to, to take businesses here international? I mean, obviously people all over the world listen to music. People here listen to music from all over the world. But the degree of difficulty goes up uh, considerably when you're talking about moving into, uh, into other markets that have different rules and regs. So as a venture capitalist, you have to be a little bit crazy in terms of betting on change. Um, things are going to change. Um, IP rights are going to change. Um, how money flows are going to happen, are, those are all going to change. Um, international markets are very different. Everyone is local. I mean, it, it, city by city in China is different. Um, and so you have to think about it from the perspective of what are you providing? What is the value you are providing to the end user, be it the consumer for us or anything else? Are you providing real value to them? And what is that value worth? And how are you going to monetize that value? Are you going to monetize it from the artist or are you going to monetize it from the consumer? So um, I really don't care where the company's domiciled, which market they're going after, how they're going after it. To me, the more important thing is, what's the business model going to look like? And it doesn't matter. And, and is the license issue today going to be a license issue in the future? So that's how I think about you know, investments in the music space. 
Patrick, are you guys, is your focus exclusively uh, Bay Area, exclusively domestic? Uh, I'm based in Los Angeles, and Brian's here in San Francisco. Um, and I, I know I'm, I was curious to hear your answer because I really don't have a clue offshore. And, and, and our focus will be not just in the U.S., primarily West Coast. I wanted to run another question, and this is, might be one of my last couple questions here, but uh, Joe Kennedy, CEO of uh, Pandora, emailed me a question last night, and uh, I thought it was a good one. Um, obviously, Apple has forever changed up the way that people consume music. Uh, we've got a court ruling that was favorable to efforts by Google and Amazon to, uh, uh, to, uh, to stream music online. We've got Facebook expected to an, uh, continue announcing new alliances with the likes of Spotify. So we've got all of these titans at the top who are fighting for the way that people are going to consume music uh, uh, digitally. Um, what's left for the smaller guys? There's, there's, there's too much left. I mean, there's you know, everything from uh, what does a performing artist need wrapped around them? What does a venue need wrapped around them? What does a tour manager need? What are, so there are tools and gaps in this Selling chain the picks and from, shovels, as it were. Yeah, and 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 not touching the licensing issue, but but uh, uh, simplifying and streamlining the tour management business, or or like I said, or or, man, or running a studio, or or collaborating online. So, it's it's not the it's great that those are out there, those titans, as you call them, and I listen to them all the time. But th that's not the only uh, game to play. Mark, you agree with that? Yeah, and what I would say, and I'd love to hear Larry's thoughts on this, actually. You know, to me, as an angel investor, I got to learn a couple of really hard lessons, which was sitting across from from a CEO or a founder and in my head going, this guy cannot get the ball into the end zone, and then handing him a check anyway. <laughs> um, and, and so for me, to, to your point... I mean, the, the reason that, that I was successful in my last venture and got eight figures for my company was because I wanted it worse. I got up earlier. I stayed later. I did whatever it took to win. That, that was why I won. Mm -hmm. And, and I was, got really smart and figured out I needed to be the dumbest guy in the room. And as soon as I learned that lesson and I brought a bunch of other really smart people around me, the thing took off like a rocket ship. And so to me, it's always a bet on the person. You assume the idea is close or they're going to get close, but you're always betting on the team first. And, and, it, and from that perspective, anyone can get knocked off, off the perch that they enjoy if they're not careful. I mean, look at Eventbrite taking a run at Ticketmaster. Who, who would think that you could topple that beast? But it's a real possibility that that could happen. Uh, you know, when you're big, it's hard to move fast. Um, so... But Larry, as you're assessing opportunities, I mean, there must be a part of you that thinks about, geez, do we really want to go head-to-head -head with Apple on this? Do we really want to go head-to-head -head with Google, even if there's just kind of feeling their way into this, or with Amazon? You know, those companies have huge war chests, and if they want to, you know, they can, they can be the hummer that squashes the sprout. So, I mean, do you, as you're assessing opportunities, as you're talking to entrepreneurs, do you think about steering them away from trying to take on somebody like that or, or do you say hell go for it you know those guys are maybe a little bit uh, maybe a little bit fat and lazy and you know or fat and happy and, and there's an opportunity there yeah well first off there's a real reason that uh, Apple and Amazon and Microsoft and Google you know the big media companies care a lot about music it's because people love music and it's a passion center you know from a kid through an adult it's just it's a lot of time you know, and Patrick says time is money, you know, agree completely. So there's a lot there. And I'm also going to basically agree with what Joe is implying, which is, hey, it's really tough to be a startup. 
you know, and Pandora was able to really break through and get escape velocity and become, you know, a large scale, you know, company with a lot of opportunity. And frankly, being a startup with that framework uh, is incredibly difficult, which is, you know, why we're, we're kind of doing, you know, maybe a deal or two a year uh, after looking at tons of things where I think, you know, there is this paradox of, hey, it's so hard to succeed, right? Why would you try? But that's, uh, that's kind of the key opportunity is the big companies have trouble moving. And at the end of the day, experience for the consumer trumps everything. If a startup has a better experience, you know, SoundHound, music search, if you want to search for a song, you know, you say it or you sing it or you identify it and it's quick and it's a joyful experience, guess what? That's able to gain mass market adoption um, because it's just so much better and word of mouth is so big. So, you know, Pandora built its brand without marketing dollars. The experience really, really matters and that's why, you know, frankly, your experience better be uh, very far from me too if if it's going to break out. And that's, that's you know, essentially what we're trying to identify. Once it starts breaking out, then, you know, it's kind of a different ballgame and it's a different set of things. But, man, that, that early stage is tough and you need to have something that's, that's awesome and you need incredible dedication around it. So, Haney, who do you think is going to win up on the Titan level? Uh, you know, Amazon, Google, <laughs> Apple, who, who, you bet you, who, you, who, who should the smart money be on? What, what are they? What are they? What are they? Well, I mean, let's say that you're talking about the the debates about uh, you know iTunes versus uh, uh, versus the cloud player versus you know a place that I can put my music and let it stream. You know, they're, everybody's they're all trying a slightly different kind of take on this. And you know, you talk to some of the the smaller the startup entrepreneurs that I talk to, you say, yeah, but they're they're doing it, but they're not really kind of supporting it in the way that they should. I mean, you see the same kind of thing going on with. Uh, you know, with the CRM space to be, you know, much less sexy, but... I think they all suck, actually. <laughs> I mean, I think I'm a huge consumer of music, and how I listen to my music is... Uh, right now, it's kind of a shitty experience, because I have to use Pandora, and I'm leaning back, Spotify, leaning forward, or, or searching with friends, Turntable, if I'm coding, SoundCloud, if I want some cool DJ... I mean, there's lots of different places where I go to get my music. Um, I can't see myself paying a buck a song of iTunes, given the way I, I, I do that. I can't see myself collecting and storing it in Google in a locker. That's stupid to me. So none of those services to me make any sense. Something that would make what I do a little easier might make sense. Mm -hmm. So I don't, I don't think, I think it's a, I think what they're trying to do is they're trying to put themselves in a position where they can take advantage as change happens, which I think is, they're smart, they're not dumb. Uh, but and at the same time, they're trying to monetize it while it happens. A Apple's done a fantastic job of bringing music to the masses. I would wager that uh, top 40 consumption has gone down as the rest of the tail has gone up because of the iTunes model and the accessibility of music. Uh, but I think it's going to change even more. I think it's going to evolve even more. Patrick, do you, do you agree that, the, that these big players are ultimately not going to be the ones that are kind of dominating uh, digital music? A number of years from now, they they're not going to go away, right? But I but I think that there is there there are gaps where uh, making it simpler, making it more sexy, making it more uh, joyful, as Mark said, is is a key. It's you know Google did this. One of our former startups was collect a real time search, and I remember it's Pearl Harbor Day. It was December seventh. They came out and announced we're going to do real time search. You know they didn't really do it. But it was enough to just crater uh, our business. So I understand the threat of having these big monsters uh, out there. But 
truth be told, uh, there, there are huge gaps in their armor and, and opportunities for little companies. I think you have to look at listening versus other, as, as Tim Westerun just said in the key, keynote. 80% mm -hmm. of time is actually spent on radio because if you just want to listen, I mean, I, I listen to Pandora all the time because it's better than my music collection. Mm -hmm. And I have that rack of CDs and I, you know, painstakingly personally ripped you know, these thousands of CDs at one point to kind of watch them sit in a server that I'm paying for that's observing power, that's con consuming power while I'm really listening to Pandora while my daughter is actually on YouTube looking for songs, you know, and singing along with them or in a different place, mm -hmm. uh, you know, looking at the lyrics like on an app or something. So I think the listening part is very difficult and I think the whole desire to own and even curate your own collection is a niche behavior that I think really remains in that 20%. But I think we're also missing the much broader set of opportunities and time spent around music from how you connect you know, with a band, uh, how you connect with music through that band, the live performances, um, performing music, playing music, um, the innovations on you know, the iPad to learn music. I mean, there's just a lot of other really exciting stuff there. Um, I think this, you know, kind of the pay a lot of money for an on-demand music service that does a moderate job of meeting your listening needs, right, versus a great job of just delivering search. I mean, I'd rather do, you know, search and play on this uh, in a better fashion than is offered by, by those services. <laughs> Um, we got about 15 minutes. I want to take it to the floor. I've, in my experience with these kinds of things, as soon as we break, you guys will all be pinned to this wall. And, uh, uh, but I figure that some of the questions people might want to ask you guys are going to play for the whole panel and for others in the room. So uh, looks like you're the winner. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so one of the strategies that a lot of startups or a lot of uh, uh, venture, uh, venture companies are doing is uh, setting up uh, uh, incubators. Mm -hmm. um, because a lot of the licensing issues, a lot of the legal issues are similar among, uh, among musics, uh, so among music startups, so along entertainment startups, what are you guys seeing? Is, it, is there a space for a, a music startup incubator or a you know, entertainment startup incubator that focuses on that? And you're saying you need licensing as a part of your company? No, no. I'm, I'm saying that um, as as we all approach the music space of building applications for music, licensing is an issue that comes up almost immediately. Sure. Uh, licensing and legal issues. So having an incubator space or an incubator program, instead of saying, okay, we're going to fund this one company and good luck. We're going to fund this one company. Uh, the way the like Y Combinator and some of these incubators are starting up is really looking at this as starting up classes, taking six good bets, taking those through a process, then, then, then investing in them and letting them go. What do you guys see as, is there a space for a music-oriented um, incubator? I, 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 You're thinking I, of starting a music incubator. I'm not. Okay. He's wondering if there should be one. Yeah, I think if it's involving licensing, you know, here's a group of companies that all need licensing, that would probably be better set up, you know, by the labels coming together and saying, hey, here's statutory licensing for this kind of feature and function and we're going to nurture those companies, but I think they're a while away from thinking of it that way. Patrick, did you want to jump in on that down there? Uh, yeah, I mean, we, we actually, you know, we're still, this is an ongoing conversation internally, and, and the way it's leaning now is no, 
we're not going to formalize it with a space. Y Combinator, Combinator is great, um, and I admire their returns and the scale that they've grown to, but that's really not what we're going to do. It, it'll, be a, it'll be a small group of companies. They will know each other. They will collaborate with each other, but it won't be because they all share a, a space. You know, the personalities, if ourselves included, when, when we moved one of our startups out of my basement into the Chevron building to be in a big space, it, it killed part of what we were doing, right? So it's good to stay in mom's attic a little bit longer and, mm-hmm. and you know, it's like recording your demo tape kind of thing. And, and I, I don't want to break that. I don't want to be... It could later make sense, but in the beginning, no. You stay where you're comfortable and, and have, uh, as Mark said, surround yourself with uh, the smartest people you can find. And one of the companies we've, yeah. we've worked with on our startups is here in San Francisco is True Ventures, and they've, they've done a really good job of, in fact, in two days there's another one, a founder's camp, where everybody comes together to collaborate. That, that is really meaningful for me. Having to sit in the same room with them every day, forget it. It, wouldn't, it just wouldn't work. Uh, you get too many uh, egos and et cetera, so... We, ju- we just backed a company out of um, plug-and-play tech center in Sunnyvale. They've got about a few hundred companies down there. That's another good space if you're looking to be around other entrepreneurs and they can do some minor funding and help with uh, venture funding and other, other elements. Yeah, I, I would just say that, that um, proximity can be really valuable. It can also be extremely distracting. And so I think some, uh, I think when you look at, um, in Nashville, the Center for Entrepreneurship can hold today 17 companies, and it's focused in four areas. Um, there's some real value to proximity, but there's also real value to mom's attic. So I think there's a balance that, that you have to strike. But it can, be, it can be great to be kind of down in the ditch with your, with your fellow entrepreneurs. It has a lot of value. So I would say that there, there probably is an opportunity for it. We got a question over here. Awesome, thanks. Hey, Jason Asbar, Monstrous Company, one of the many startups out here who will be pitching you guys. Um, it was really encouraging to hear everything you're saying because it is uh, matching the ground truth of what we're hearing, what I'm hearing when we're talking to rights holders and uh, trying to put together, as you say, win-win deals where there's no upfront licensing fees. And we're also taking a somewhat different angle, which is combining maybe the two most hated venture capital spaces, gaming and uh, music, and saying we're going to build something great with this. We are getting a number of people who are buying into it and backing us, but you know we're going we're gonna to be looking ahead to our next stage of funding. Uh, so. When I come to guys like y'all and uh, pitch a music gaming type play, what kind of traction is going to make that a compelling story? Where should I be before I even call you up? I I think it's going to be sort of three different answers, right, between the seed, the sprout, and uh, and the expansion. Um, At at our stage, we we're willing to go on the experience being great and having a small sample of people who are validating that. Go ahead. I, I'm just trying to keep the mic moving so we can keep the questions going. But you, you wanted, I'd like to actually hear each of you guys t- answer his question because I think it's interesting. Uh, and I think Larry's absolutely right. It's going to be a very different answer depending on. I think, I think Haney's going to be looking for some real liftoff. I, I like cool demos. <laughs> so, we have so, different criteria. So for us, we'd like to see uh, the product in the hands of consumers and see how they, much they like it and then see what your follow-on plans to keep the momentum is. So I'd like to see some initial revenue traction. Hey, you're getting some love for this app or this game or this music. And then, hey, I've got six more coming in the pipeline. I need funding for the six more. Yeah, I would say that um, from my perspective, uh, you know, I'll go back to what I said. It's, it's a bet on you. 
Um, it's an assumption that, that the model's close, that we have uh, a pro forma is always wrong. You just always want it to be wrong in the right direction. Uh, and so, I mean, for me, it, it's, it's basically looking at the team, it's looking at the marketplace, and then it's, now I'll be call, I'm gonna pin Larry to the wall before any of you get to him, by the way. Um, but it, it's, it's talking to other people. <laughs> it, it's, it's talking to other people uh, in, that, that are logical next step investors to, to sort of check their pulse, um, because uh, you know my experience is, is if you if you hang around old bulls who have done this, they they know some tricks that I don't know. I'm still very much learning. That, uh, I will be a student forever. So it's it's a combination of things, but inevitably it's it's the guy. This this guy over here, Adam. I'm going to give him a plug. I, he I you can't shake this kid, um, and he keeps trying. He keeps trying. He has he has that thing. That, that I remember when Tim Westergren did the, the tour, you know, when way back in the day when he was doing little coffee shop things and, and rallying people around Pandora. I walked out of that meeting going, man, that guy, he is on a frickin' mission, and you just are not going to stop him. And, and now, you know. Well, that's a great segue because our next question is from Adam. <laughs> <laughs> Whoops. Whoops. Adam Wexler with Go Rankman and Sightpool. Um, it's a pretty simple question. Does location matter? Um, and I'll go just a step beyond. We're from Athens, Georgia. Mark, we're neighbors, kind of. Um, but obviously, the rest of you guys are based all the way on the other side of the country. Does location matter? I'll start, because I, I, I do a lot of back and forth between different locations. I've invested in companies in Boston, in New York, Seattle, San Francisco, Shanghai, Beijing, Minneapolis. I mean, there's lots of, lots of things. So one, if you're building a tech-oriented company, then definitely it matters. You need a pool of engineers yep. around you, smart, talented people around you. If you're building something other than a tech company, less, less so. Uh, but what you really want is not only just a pool to recruit from, but just a pool of people that are like-minded. I mean, it's amazing. I, 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 I play poker with a bunch of group of entrepreneurs uh, every once in a while. And the knowledge of the questions and the insights and the introductions and all these things that happen naturally uh, wouldn't be possible outside Silicon Valley, outside, you know, Menlo Park, Palo Alto, that area. So it does matter a lot um, in terms of where you build your company. Let me, let me ask you this, though, just to be contrarian. Every single CEO that I talk to, every single one, and it does not matter the size of his or her company, complains about how hard it is to hire engineers here in the Valley. So but what if... No, sorry. go ahead. Well, the, the problem is having been on that side of the table, and I had, I had uh, people in eight different states, and c a condition of our subsequent funding round was pick a city, LA, San Francisco, or New York, New York, which is why I live in LA now. I've lived in San Francisco, New York. I want to try it. But it was a condition, and I think that there's an expectation the longer and more mature the company gets and the type of investors that you want to attract, that you're going to need to check that box because the process of deliberation over an investment you, you just can't be any red flags. And, no, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not disagreeing with you that, that the VCs ask for that. But, but why is it, Haney, that you will get on a plane to Shanghai, and, and that's really different, too, uh, from, say, 10 years ago when I first started covering this space, and nobody wanted to invest outside of a 20-minute drive of, of Santa Road. But, you know, we've got 
great research universities in Nashville. We've got great research universities in Boston. We've got great research universities in New Haven. <clears throat> Where do those engineers go when they leave? Well, but I'm, I, they come here. Or they go, you know. So interesting. So the, the company that I have in Shanghai is actually leaving Shanghai and moving to Beijing, even though they have 600 employees, because the talent, the internet talent is in Beijing. It's not in Shanghai. Even though it's hard to find, it's hard to get, it's expensive. But if you want to create the best possible chances of success, you go there. Unless you have 20 guys, they're all you know, rocket scientists, they all live in you know, New, Haven, Minneapolis, New Haven, Minnesota, and they're going to build a product there. You don't need to expand much beyond that. Yeah. But beyond that, if you want talent, if you want industry access, if you want to know what's going on, the vibe of the business, you've got to go where that locus is. And New York, LA, San Francisco, Seattle, those are, those are the places where I'd spend my time. Boston's actually out of favor right now. We've had some good luck in uh, Texas and Boston, Portland. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, Matt's got a couple of companies in Texas that are, are doing really well. We got just time for a couple more. I, the, okay, yeah, sorry. Um, yeah, you know, you're talking about Lord of the Rings in-app purchases, you know, microtransactions as a, um, and, you know, based on current consumer uh, consumption trends, that seems to be the way to go, to get the app in their hands for free. Is that a model that you prefer to see? And if so, um, do, would you, do, do you like the idea of these apps being distributed within the app stores? Do you prefer the idea of kind of circumventing that as a lot of companies are doing now so they don't have to pay Apple and making a web-based like HTML5 app sort of thing? Yes, yes, and yes. <laughs> well, that was a quick question. So there's not any one, one answer that you're looking for? No, I mean, I, look, I mean, no one knows has a, a clear crystal ball of how this is going to evolve, right? Well, I was at a gaming conference uh, for a uh, mobile, mobile gaming conference, and I asked the question, what happens if Apple turns on Flash tomorrow? What happens to your whole group? You know, all these guys that are building apps, what happens if Apple turns on Flash tomorrow? You guys are going to be decimated. So you always have to think about what the future is going to look like and plan accordingly, right? So HTML5, in-app purchases, through the App Store, through the web, through, through your you know, favorite uh, Google store. I, I think there's a lot of stuff that's going to change in the industry. Uh, the business model of subscriptions, the business model of you, buy it, you pay me first before you try the applications, I think those are gone. I think innovative ways to monetize, whether it's advertising, microtransactions, affiliate marketing, uh, you know, there's, there's lots of ways to do it. Uh, and you know what, Zynga has actually done a fantastic job of copying Asian companies in the business models. And so don't look, don't look just at the U.S., don't look at the U.S. companies, but look, at, look, look globally what's happening. We got, I think it's going to be our last question right here in the back. Hi, uh, my name is Joshua Cohen. I'm from Ganksy. We offer a super simple direct-to-fan sales solution, direct-to-customer sales solution. I have a question. You made the comment about something to the effect of taking on the big boys. Do you want to be, or the question was posed, do you want to be taking on iTunes or Amazon? And uh, the, my question is, it would seem to me that kind of it's almost like a precondition in a way that you want to be finding companies with those types of disruptive technologies because it is precisely those countries, companies that will be under the radar and have the greatest potential to be huge because they kind of knock those other companies off. And I would guess that historically many of the big players today actually started out that way. So I'm just kind of looking for comments on that. Larry, go ahead. Well, I, I you think want, you're, you trying to address, you're, you're trying to address a big market. And, and if, now, the question is, are you addressing a market that's a shrinking pie or a growing pie? 
And if it's a growing pie or you think it's going to evolve a different way, then that could be interesting. If it's just, hey, we're going to sell music at a slightly better margin uh, in you know widgets that let you buy it across anywhere, the fact is people are still buying less music. And if you're gaining share, you're still you know kind of going into a train you know into a desert that's not as interesting. But if there's some you know other innovations around it, um, you know, and it's a big market, then then worth looking at. It's hard to react so you Mark, know, generically you, to it. Are you a little bit more willing to take a bet on somebody who's going to walk in and say, you know, Steve Ballmer's going to be shining my shoes one day? I mean, well, I mean, that, the model you're describing, no. Uh, in other words, what, what I try to do is I try to look at each individual. I looked at a deal here recently that was, it was well-polished, well-executed, but they were missing a huge piece of institutional knowledge and basically the business wouldn't work. And I told the CEO, I said, you're a great guy. You built a great little team. This, this business just will not work. And have, have a nice day. You know what I mean? Because at the end, uh, you, you only have so much time, so you try to place your bets appropriately. And, and, and it goes back to, you know, bring joy to the consumer. I'm, uh, I've already got Larry's. I'm, I'm you should copyright that. that you before, should. You, you know. should copyright that. And, right. and bring joy and, to the consumer TM. TM. <laughs> and, and, and the guy. Okay. <laughs> Do you guys want to take one last swing at that? I just got the end sign. But just quickly, I mean, when we invested in Pandora a couple of years ago or so, uh, my big, our biggest concern is a partnership. Of, hey, these guys are going head-to-head -head against iTunes. Not really. So it really depends on what you mean by going head to head with the, with the with the big boys. You have to take a wild tangent towards it. Patrick, I, I agree. I agree with Henny. Okay, great. I really want to thank all of our panelists. We got Patrick, Haney. We've got thank you, Mark and Larry. Thanks very much. Enjoy the rest of the conference. I'm sure they'll stick around for Q and A. At some point, I want Nashville to be on your list. You know, I just met with.